Welcome to the Lion's Den University Report. This program brings you a behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. The following program was previously broadcast. My guest once again for this broadcast of the Lion's Den University Report, Dr. Ravi Zacharias of the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. We're here in his headquarters in Norcross, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And we've been uh, speaking a little bit about his uh, background and the scope of his organization and the uniqueness of Christianity in providing the answers to life's most important questions, uh, that salvation through grace, through Jesus Christ, is the need of every human being uh, made in God's image. And uh, Ravi, again, welcome to our program. Good to be with you, Glenn. Thank you. And now our, our program is the Lions Den University Report. Our focus is what's going on on our university campuses, and perhaps there's uh, very few people that are uh, any more in tune with uh, the university settings these days than you are. Uh, what are some of the places that you've been recently, and what are some of your perceptions of university to li- uh, life today in uh, relation to spiritual things? Well, you know, uh, our our ministry takes us into four arenas: the academic the business, the political, and the arts. So the academic is one of our primary thrusts. Uh, I'm on university campuses several times a year doing open forums. Uh, Recently, actually, about uh, just a few days before the taping of this program, I was in Jakarta. It was an open forum, and they drew hundreds of university students. There were actually about 3,000 in attendance. Mm. And uh, our appeal is to the young university student. There were scores of them in attendance in the audience, and I spoke on the problem of evil and uh, answered questions for a protracted period of time. Uh, Just a few months ago, did uh, an open forum on a Thursday night at Yale, and uh, one of the members of the Board of Trustees was present and leaned over to somebody sitting next to him and happened to be a friend of mine, and he said, you know, I can't get over what I'm seeing here tonight. He said, anybody like Tony Blair or someone, if you brought them in here on a Thursday night, they would never pack out an auditorium because anybody with any credentials comes to Yale, our students just don't attend a lot of these things because they could be taken up every evening. He said, but here they are, an overflow crowd on a Thursday night, listening to the uniqueness of Jesus' talk. He said, I can't figure this out. We had a fantastic open forum, an extraordinary response. Uh, Sometime before that, I was uh, at uh, Arizona State, along with John Lennox, uh, and the scientist who's on our who's an adjunct apologist with us based in Oxford, uh, professor of pure mathematics, Green College, Oxford University with a triple doctorate, and my other colleague, Michael Ramsden. Uh, six months before we were there, uh, Richard Dawkins was there to talk about atheism. They drew about 3,000 that night when Dawkins was there. When we were there, 9,000 attended mm. the open forum. Tremendous. So there's a real hunger on the campuses of the world and I, I do several of them every year. Uh, I always enjoy the privilege, but it's a very daunting challenge. Now, what w- would you uh, give us the reasons for some of the intellectual hostility to Christianity that seems to have taken over? If we go back in the history of America, uh, we find the universities, Harvard named after a clergyman, uh, other ones starting out of churches and so on, uh, prevalent in the early days. And now, uh, seemingly, if, if you're a, a born-again a Bible-believing Christian, you may face uh, the lion's den at the well, university. Well, you know, the, it seems to be in vogue. Some some philosophies like to come together on the basis of what they hate or despise. 
and it's in with many in liberal faculties to bash Christianity. They gain some kind of pleasure out of it. They daren't bash Islam because they know they won't be doing a lot of bashing after Mm -hmm. that. If they did, they won't mock any Eastern pantheistic worldview because they will see that as sort of ethnically protected. So who do you hit? You hit the Christian worldview. But you know what? I take it as a compliment. Why do we appreciate democracies so much? Because democracies give us the freedom. And yet often democracies are destroyed by abusing them, by mocking them, by mocking the freedom that is given to you. And therefore, I think the very fact of the Christian faith, which is not imposed on people, but gives you the privilege of disbelief, that's attacked in the same way a democratic society is attacked. It's a gift, it's a privilege, but we thrive on hating the very thing that gives us the privilege of the freedom of speech and freedom of of belief or disbelief. So the liberal faculties, the liberal media, when I use liberal, I'm using the term those who deny absolutes and live with a relativistic ethic. And those absolutes that they deny are often the absolute of good and evil, the absolute of right and wrong, the absolute of the existence of God. Um, So you see it happening from the 60s this began, and now it's in its heyday. The young people in the 60s who are rebels became professors in the 80s, and they used the platform as a bully pulpit to attack the Christian faith. But you know what? That's quite distinctively Western right now. Not so in a place like China. Not so in a place like India. I was there a few weeks ago speaking to Bollywood film stars who are the epitome of success and their questions on life and meaning and purpose were so real. They want to know what Jesus Christ says on the deepest questions of their heart. One very notable producer, big name in India, said to me, explain to me why there's so much wickedness inside me. You know, these sort of questions mm. that they ask. So the Christian faith will has always been attacked, but more so it's in vogue now in North America to make fun of this kind of thing. They don't realize that it is the bequest of the Judeo-Christian faith that made a country like this possible. Now they want to take the benefits of that and attack the very foundation which gave them the privilege to speak. Right, right. And of course, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Endowed by our Creator with inalienable rights. Right. And uh, no other worldview would have spent those words, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, the... the, uh, who, Who tells us we are created equal? Suddenly the pantheist doesn't. Right, Hinduism has the caste system, The caste system, you know, and uh, will will Islam tell you that we are endowed with inalienable rights? Absolutely not. Uh, Will naturalism tell you we are endowed by our creator with this? So there are statements there that basically cannot be supported by those other worldviews. It's only the Judeo-Christian worldview that makes even an affirmation like that possible or meaningful. Uh, It's amazing to me, coming from another part of the world, making this my home now, to see how these values are being plundered by those. They're literally cutting off the branch on which they're sitting. And a lot of it is done in the name of uh, intellectual uh, knowledge that uh, supposedly has 
you know, refuted these primitive ideals. But as you've experienced, and I, I know we have in our program, that there are superb intellectuals who are in a variety of fields of academics uh, whose credentials cannot be challenged, but yet they're ridiculed simply because as part of their worldview is, is the belief in Jesus Christ. It's, it's a sham to think that an intellectual cannot subscribe to these truths. My professor of quantum at Cambridge was a renowned quantum physicist by the name of John Pokinghorn, whose book One World is a, a, an extraordinary book, and his book on quantum held by Physics Bulletin is one of the best in his genre. Devout Christian. Uh, here's a, one of the world's leading quantum physicists, John Lennox, whom I mentioned, your triple doctorate teaching at Oxford. And I see professors with these well-qualified credentials against their name all over. What it is that the intellectual mocks is reminds me of one of my professors at graduate school used to say, some skeptics are better at smelling rotten eggs than at laying good ones. <laughs> and these very intellectuals who mock our faith have right. never come up with a satisfactorily express, satisfactory explanation for moral reasoning. They've never come up with it. Or they've tried, you know, evolutionary ethics and some kind of neuroscience that explains. But the very grounds on which they base those theories become either deterministic or self-defeating, ultimately denying truth affirmations. And so if you deny a truth affirmation, what they're really saying is nothing more than an emotively uh, emotive statement, but they're grounding it as if it were true. So to me, this intellectual mockery is actually, uh, they're holding on to the sharp edge of the blade, thinking they're holding on to the handle. And then, uh, I don't know if you saw the program Curiosity with uh, Stephen Hawking, where he uh, declared that now it's been proven that we don't need God to uh, begin the universe, uh, yet the whole concept of proclaiming these truths, supposed, that refute Christianity lead to philosophical consequences of a meaningless world, don't they? Even more than that, when you think about it, Glenn, if the physics of Stephen Hawking is extended to metaphysics, the metaphysic that would have been generated by his worldview could have legitimized somebody asking for him to have been aborted in the womb. Right, yeah. right. On the basis of all that they knew his physical malady was going to present. Certainly. He lives by the, by the benefits of a worldview which he's denying. And if his worldview is actually taken at face value, his very existence could have been threatened. This is the kind of thing that I think makes me wonder, are these men really deep thinkers or are they narrow thinkers and think in one specific discipline and never allow it to spill over into other equally important disciplines by which we must live? And certainly the survival of the fittest yep. is the antithesis of the Christian view of loving everyone and, and giving respect and dignity to the least of these. It tells us to love the weakest, you know, that, that a very child amongst us. But that tells you today, think of this, we, with all of the triumphalistic views that the relativist and the naturalist holds, they don't know how to define the meaning of life. They don't know how to define the essence of life. They don't know how to define sexuality. They don't know how to define marriage. And yet we are told that they are the smartest in the world right now. Do you think that uh, a moral view that is in opposition to the biblical standards, if someone is holding to an immoral lifestyle, that that affects their ability to think clearly? 
Well, I do think those who want to uphold an immoral lifestyle are already judging by a framework that I think ultimately makes one question uh, whether they have motives other than self-serving motives in order to promote that idea. Was it not Aldous Huxley in his book Ends and Means says, I want to believe this world has no meaning because then it frees me to my own political and erotic choices. Mm -hmm. Those are the very words he actually uses. It frees him. Right. I want this world not to have meaning. Sure. So it's a prejudicially driven ideology that is ultimately hedonistic in its uh, outworking. And so uh, if you would summarize the message of RZIM, which is the message of the scripture, uh, to today's uh, modern uh, intelligent person, uh, what is the appeal to them and what, what does God want to say to them today? You know, the King Crimson Rock group of years ago used to say, knowledge is a deadly friend, friend when no one sets the rules. The fate of all mankind I see is in the hands of fools. Confusion will be my epitaph as I crawl a cracked and broken path. If we make it, we can all sit back and laugh, but I'm afraid tomorrow I'll be crying. That's the crying that's going on right now. The message of RZM is the message of the gospel, that every life is sacred created by God as a gift of God. Every life is endowed with dignity and value and purpose and meaning. And we, have, we ought to be able to reverence that and honor that and give the total fulfillment to every life of living with that purposefulness and, meaningless, meaning, and meaningfulness of that which is essentially sacred at its core. When we move in that way, then life is sacred, property is sacred, your word is sacred, time is sacred, sexuality is sacred, marriage is sacred, and that's what the Ten Commandments are all about. So our message is the love of God that gives us the privilege of meaning and purpose and begins with that relationship through Jesus Christ that makes this all possible. Amen. Well, my guest has been Dr. Ravi Zacharias with RZIM Ministry. If you're a listener and you're still searching for some answers to these questions, we would encourage you to contact his ministry or ours, and we would love to share some of those wonderful truths of God's holy word and the love of Jesus Christ that he has for you. You have been listening to the Lion's Den University Reports. If you would like more information about the Christian life or would like to contact the Lion's Den or one of the guests, please write us at The Lion's Den, Post Office Box 226, Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, 17844, or email ltcldur at yahoo.com.